Welcome to the Northern Lights Show, episode two. I am your co-host, Maple. And I am Flapjack. How you doing, Flapjack? I'm doing great. We have a, an amazing show uh, today. Indeed we do. What do we got, Flapjack? So we're going to start off um, recapping and correcting some of the uh, points we talked about, the individual party platforms from our last episode. We're then going to jump over to the continued effort in Afghanistan and how people in Canada are reacting to it. Uh, then we are going to follow up with uh, some interesting news about the Trudeau campaign trail and what's happening there. Uh, and then we're going to hear from you about the vaccine passports and uh, what that could mean for the rest of us. And then I want to do a little bit of a deep dive into the election that just happened out in the Atlantic provinces. Nova Scotia had an election, and I want to talk about what we saw there. And finally, we're going to go away from Canada to China to talk about a video game ban that is coming into effect. Beautiful. Perfect. So I would first like to begin the show basically recounting previous statements made by me. Now, what I'm finding with the conservative government is they're kind of playing outside of their playbook. Normally when the conservatives run an election, it's based off of budgeting. It's about slowly chipping away at the deficit. In this case, they're actually investing in programs that will help Canadians as of right now. So they've introduced the Canada's recovery plan and they are investing a great amount of money in combating the opioid crisis, which in Canada, North America, worldwide, we have record overdoses and we do need the infrastructure in place to make sure that Canadians get help and dignified help and care that they so desperate, desperately need in this time of crisis. What are your thoughts on this flapjack? Yeah, that's right. I think it's, it's very interesting and refreshing to see them uh, come on board and realize that these are mental health and addiction issues that can be treated if the proper funding and the proper uh, government bodies are put in place uh, to facilitate that. Um, prior to that, they were very obstructionist in trying to uh, prevent any sort of help coming to these types of people. And I think it's really nice to see them finally come around and really advocate for helping people in this situation. Yes. And as stated on last week's episode, they are putting uh, quite a bit of funding into combat combating mental health as well. So we do have That's to right. give credit where credit is due. I believe the conservatives are playing outside of their playbook as of right now. These aren't necessarily standard things that the PC will do. And it kind of caught me uh, off guard uh, for yeah. better or for worst. I mean, I have to give credit. Yeah, I, I agree. It uh, It's definitely a shock, and it's hard to kind of figure out how, how they are going to continue forward with some of their previous statements on these issues. Um, but it is a nice change uh, on, their, on their part. However, uh, I don't want to... Um, say that they are all moving in the right direction we still have some issues with this party uh just to quickly go over them we have the uh the abortion uh bill that was defeated 248 to 82 uh so 82 of those members uh did vote uh to um ban abortions in canada and so they're not all moving uh in that same direction in, yes. in that party. 
uh, one other point is the uh, Bill C6, which um, was a ban of conversion therapy in Canada, and 62 MPs did not want to ban it. Um, so again, there's a couple, a couple people in this party, or more than a couple, I should say, that are are still not moving in the right direction, and it's going to be interesting to see how they feel about some of these topics uh, around mental health um, and addiction, because I don't think the party is in a full agreement, and that could hurt them if they do try to enact some of their their ideas if they do uh, gain power. Yeah, I just have a quick question for you. Aaron O'Toole um, basically said not too long ago that he was pro-choice. He uh, approved in the women's right to choose. Um, so I'm just curious if the leader has any sway with these conservative MPs that seem to be still attached to these socially conservative uh, issues. Well, uh, he yes, he did say he's pro-choice. However, he also said that he will not influence his MPs and how they vote on these types of matters because they are matters of uh, conscious uh, choices on, on his MPs behalf and they have to take their own ethics into account. So I don't believe he will be swaying them on these issues. I think he's going to stay away from them because he uh, wants to, to not get kind of muddied up in talking about some of these uh, outdated social ideas that a lot of people in his party and a lot of people who support his party still believe. Um, so it would be nice for him to take a harder stance, but right now he has come out and said he will not be forcing anyone in his party to vote um, in, in any particular way on, on these matters of pro-choice. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Focusing on the other parties, what do you have for the NDP? Uh, so the NDP, um, they, they're they coming out pretty strong uh, um, in terms of their economic ideas. Uh, and that's something that they've been hit on hard in the past. Uh, one thing that they've done recently, which I really like, is they're really putting uh, a lot of attention on uh, tax loopholes, um, taxes that are aimed at housing taxes that are aimed at businesses and how to best implement them because as we all know there is a um a small group of people that have a large sum of money in our country as well as the united states and all over the world really and so uh the ndp leader is committed to cracking down on a lot of these tax dodging loopholes and that's really refreshing to see because for too long it's really been a don't ask don't tell kind of thing coming from both the liberals and the conservatives they both know about these things and when they find out they basically say come forward and and, and pay some tax and we won't prosecute you but that the only rich people seem to get that sort of treatment the rest of us um they come after us uh with uh pitchforks if, if we're not paying our taxes on time so mm-hmm. It's really nice to see that they're going to be taking aim at the billionaires and making them actually pay their fair share because they do not pay their fair share. Uh, so that the, the NDP um, coming out the gate strong with economics, but will they be able to hold up um, the rest of it when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the campaign trail in terms of all the other social issues that are kind of wishy-washy now. I mean, you got the conservatives talking about health care. You've got the, the liberals used to be talking about uh, election reform. They, they can't do that anymore. They've already burned that bridge. Yes. But they're now talking about um, basically an entire recovery plan, which is interesting. You, you would think the conservatives and the liberals would have flipped their platforms because the conservatives are hammering home health care mental health care, um, dealing with addiction issues, then the liberals are talking about how efficient they will be at uh, coming out of this pandemic and, you know, getting everyone back to work. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting flip of the script. Um, the, the liberals really haven't come with anything stunning 
from from my end. What do you think? Do you see anything there that's worth diving no, into? No, I mean, I can't really add anything that hasn't been discussed on the first episode. Ten dollar a day health child care. Um, I think that's a great proposal. Um, it's kind of a little bit, how I could say, I don't know. It kind of has a bucket beer kind of flavor. It to does. It, but... I was just thinking that, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, bucket beer was something that the conservative, uh, Ontario provincial government proposed, yes. um, by the premier, the now premier Ford on his campaign trail. He proposed, um, a bucket beer idea, which is beer would be worth beer would cost sorry one dollar uh however that was not feasible that made no sense it, it i really can't even believe i thought it was a joke when it first came out but now that is um a nice go-to line when you see yes. something like this ten dollars a day for child care uh why yeah. is it that everything in the liberals pa- platform begins with ten ten dollar a day at child care uh, paid ten dollar, sorry, ten day uh, sick leave. Everything's with a uh, with a ten. Yeah, I don't know. I I think they uh, they're looking at some of the algorithms on Google and seeing what people search for. Um, yeah. So I yeah I I think I, I mean they still have the reconciliation which they've completely bungled on on their platform. Um. They they have make everyone pay their fair share. Now they did talk about taxing the banks a little bit. Uh, they do include wealthiest Canadians here, but I cannot find what they're talking about in their platform. So it's it's just an unknown. They they claim it, but it's similar to the Conservatives' platform where you don't get a lot of numbers, you don't get a lot of information on their tax policy right now. Anyway, um. So yeah, that's all I have for a recap on the uh parties and any mistakes or updates we need to make from our last one no i would say that is uh sufficient enough for me flapjack nice all right well uh maple why don't we jump on over and see what canadians are saying about the afghanistan evacuation now on to brighter things flapjack afghanistan all right as of august 31st the last american troop left that uh, country. As of right now, the Taliban's in control. I'm just curious what your thoughts are, because I do have a uh, poll here. Nearly half of Canadians say liberal government did a poor job on Afghanistan's evacuations. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of confused about the poll myself. Um, I, I'm not sure how much blame Trudeau uh, or the liberals really deserve in this. And it's not clear to me that the close to 50% of Canadians that were surveyed, um, which side of the spectrum they fall on. You're going to have some people that are saying that by taking in any uh, refugees from Afghanistan, Trudeau's doing a bad job. And then you're going to have people on the other side saying that we didn't do enough and there are still people trapped in Afghanistan that can no longer flee via the airport. They now have to make it across land which is very difficult for them to do. And so you have these two opposing views contradicting each other, but both agreeing that Trudeau screwed up. And I, I don't know how much of it is his fault, um, but that's the current situation. I think Trudeau is much more worried about uh, COVID and the vaccine passports and that kind of stuff. I'm not sure how much of this is actually affecting his poll numbers, but he is dropping, so this could be a slight cause to why he is now trailing the conservatives. I agree. I also don't believe that the Trudeau government could have prepared for this and could have handled it better, mainly because America was taking the lead. America was going to pull out May 1st under Trump if Trump was reelected. Biden reviewed um, that proposal and he aimed for September 11th. Obviously not a good uh, yeah. day to choose there. Um, so he decided to pull out sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of the mess we're in. Intelligence agencies stated that Kabul wouldn't have fallen so quickly to the Taliban. And maybe their reasoning was that 
pull out now and then get everyone out while we still have time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, America is the player in this, uh, in this war. They're the ones that make the decisions. Um, Canada acted in good faith, was a strong ally to the United States, as well as NATO, as well as a lot of European nations. We uh, helped, and after two decades, trillions of dollars, thousands of American soldiers dead, hundreds of thousands of Afghanis killed or displaced, we have this situation that we still are facing. And we need to get everyone out as fast as we can. Um, and we need to take in as many refugees as we can That's as right. well. That's right. Um, I believe they were going for 20,000 uh, refugees. Yes. We need to increase those numbers. And, you know, I bet Afghanistan um, civilians are hard workers. They should come to this country and, you know, just um, just uh, stay safe. Yeah. So, like, so as of as of Friday, uh, we have evacuated uh, 3,700. So well off of our mark of 20,000. Um, we're going to have 3,000 more uh, shortly arriving. Um, and if we compare to other NATO countries, uh, we are behind Germany and, and Italy in terms of accepting refugees. And now it's going to be even harder to get access to the refugees because they are no longer allowed to leave um, via the air. So we're going to have to find them in other neighboring countries, which is going to be um, even harder. And so I think this is why some people on on the position that we need to help like we are uh we didn't do enough but as you said it's it's hard to prepare for this kind of disastrous situation when the u.s was taking point the u.s had all this intel that said this wasn't going to happen and then it did so uh as much as we want to help these people it's it's going to be very difficult to and so that's going to be a huge priority but i don't know how much of that is actually on the government's mind right now because they're trying to win an election, an ill-timed election at that. Very well said, Flapjack. All right. Uh, and and uh, on the basis of the liberals and their ill-timed election, Trudeau is having some issues with um, protests that are uh, dogging him on the campaign trail. More than that, there have been mass protests across the country, uh, normally around healthcare facilities, blocking entrances. On one occasion, there was even a assault of a healthcare worker trying to um, get to work. So it's just, um, I wouldn't say I'm offended. I'm more just disgusted, I would say. Um, so yeah, I mean, on the Northern Lights show, we believe in peaceful assembly. That's right. Because that is granted to you by the government. But there are limitations. And when you are roughhousing a healthcare worker who is just trying to do their job, and their job is dangerous, by the way, Yep. and you assault them, it's just I, – I can't even think of the words right now. It's, it's just – it's disgusting. Yes. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, these people have no bearing on policy. They are simply doing their job and to the best that they know how to do it. And if you disagree with that, um, that's, well, it's, it's fine, but it's also, you're in, you're wrong, but it is fine. But you, you can't be assaulting people. You can't be holding up people getting health care. Um, you, you can voice your opinions loudly in public. That's perfectly fine. And I'm sure the majority of uh, these demonstrators are doing that. But yeah, to, when you start having people assault public health workers, I, I just don't understand how this, how, how we came to this. Um, but uh, some interesting um, things that have come out of this uh, protest is that uh, both the NDP and the conservatives have disavowed these demonstrators because um, a lot of these demonstrators are there because they don't want to get the vaccine. And so 
uh, it is interesting to see the conservative party come out and and basically tell these demonstrators to back off, um, stop harassing Trudeau, stop physically assaulting people and holding up health care for people. Um, so it's really nice to see that coming from the conservatives. Uh, it's a lot of praise for the conservatives on this show, which is interesting. But it's a nice, refreshing um, take from them because for too long they have been in the way when it comes to all sorts of, of progress in terms of healthcare, climate, um, social, economic, everything. They have just been living in the past and they seem to have at least in some part been turning the corner. Uh, and it's also weird that these, um, these events, they're not, they don't seem to have any large organizer, uh, at least the federal um, protests. Um, we, we should maybe do a show on the provincial protest at some point, but the federal protests seem to be very random with people from all spectrums of the uh, of the politics coming out because um, there are some people on the left who are also anti-vax and so a lot of these people um, on both sides are coming out and kind of meeting together in these protests which is interesting there's no there's no one conservative or left-wing um, facebook persona or something telling people where to go it's just a bunch of people online talking to each other about anti-vax stuff and getting together Yeah, what's um, interesting too is some of these protests were organized by a group called the Canadian Frontline Nurses, a group founded by two Ontario nurses who have promoted conspiracy theories about COVID-19 and attended rallies in the United States. I would have thought that people who work in healthcare would be, I don't know, in support of vaccines, but I suppose not because I'm sure they've um, been uh, working throughout the pandemic. Um, yeah, so moving on, Flapjack. All right. I was thinking that maybe I could, you know, go over this little thing I wrote down when I should have been working. All right. Uh, what do you got for us, Maple? Yeah, so when I should have been working, I kind of wrote down a little bit of a monologue, so I kind of wanted to give that a little bit of a read for you this afternoon. All right. <clears throat> so, I would like to start with my take on something that is near and dear to every Canadian's heart, which is the vaccine mandate. I do not believe, and my co-host may have differing views, that it is unwise for any governmental body to enforce a vaccine mandate. Legally, this cannot be done. Ethically, it is questionable, and is political suicide for everyone involved that proposes such legislation. Even at the French leaders' debates yesterday, with all the disagreement, there was one universal agreement, and that was saying no to the vaccine mandates. Should the government recommend vaccination like they have? Yes. Should the government condone or condescend the Canadians who don't get vaccinated? No. Yet that is exactly what Trudeau did on the campaign trail, claiming that the unvaccinated pose a health risk. You want the unvaccinated to vaccinate and your method is to condescend? I believe in a person's right to choose whatever they want to do with their own body. If you want to stuff your face with McDonald's day in, day out, have at it. I stuffed my face with junk food last night. My freedom. I had at it. This simple principle has influenced my views on abortion the right for a woman to choose what they do with their own body and ending the failed drug war, a person choosing what substances they want to use and put in their own body. We're the Northern Lights Show. We embody the right for people to live their lives on their terms just as long as no one gets hurt. But there may have found, we may have found ourselves in a tight spot once again. People are getting hurt. Our ICUs are nearing peak capacity in some provinces. Healthcare professionals are understaffed and overburdened. To admit and to hospitalize someone for COVID costs us taxpayer dollars. Maybe you're young, in great shape, and do not have any underlying health problems. It does not matter. If the people that spread it to may have not have, the people who you spread it to may not have such good fortune. 
If you're unable to get a vaccination for medical purposes, not because to Q told you so, then I respect that. If a medical professional, not a shaman, holistic healer, a yoga instructor advises against the vaccination, then that's where we will draw the line. And that's where I'm drawing the line. Get the vaccination. It saves lives, taxpayer dollars, and supports our healthcare professionals who've been grinding this out since it all began in March of 2020. Stay safe, stay frosty, people. All right, thank you for and that. And back to Flash. Yeah, thank you for that, Maple. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just uh, touch on a few points that, uh, yes, I think largely freedoms are at the forefront of all these conversations that you um, outlined. And this is clearly um, a violation in some capacity. And the question is, is that violation uh, justified in this particular situation? And um, I, I feel like that's not got enough attention on that aspect of it because it's come down to a lot more about the health care and the, and the science behind it. And for the record, I think both Maple and myself, but for sure myself, very pro-vaccine. You should get the vaccine. You already should have it. Um, two doses. And so if everyone does that, we're in a much better spot. And Canada is in a great spot um, globally in terms of the number of people vaccinated. But um, that still doesn't uh, stop us from having some members of public who uh, don't want to get it um, because they're afraid. And this fear is real. I think really what needs to be happening is a lot more focus on education in that department because as this article that I'm showing on the screen right now points out, um, a carrot and a stick approach, which is a terrible metaphor, but a carrot and a stick approach in terms of giving them something, maybe giving them some money or entering them into a, a, a raffle to get the vaccine versus punishing them for not getting the vaccine, both of those don't solve the underlying issue, which is fear of the vaccine. And a lot of people are upset because they are afraid. And I think if we just focus on that and deal with that fear, we do end up solving a lot of the drama that we're seeing surrounding this. But uh, yeah. the, the real question that is on our plates now is, is this justified? And uh, I honestly don't know. I don't have an answer. Um, because, yeah, it, it seems like it is a huge um, ethical problem to start clamping down on people's freedom. Yeah. I think of the vaccination, getting, um, getting vaccinated as harm reduction. So despite what people might think, having a vaccine isn't like um, a suit of armor. So you can get sick, but what it does reduce is the chances of you being hospitalized, ending up in the ICU, or being placed on a ventilator, or even dying. And like I was saying, it is kind of physically conservative to get vaccinated because to hospitalize someone for COVID, it does cost a lot of money. Same way um, hospitalizing someone for an overdose. Um, because, because of that, it's better to, of course, invest in harm reduction, safe injection sites, or just getting the fucking vaccine. Yep. Yeah, no, I exactly. And and that's what it comes down to and and I think the bottom line of that is the education because without that, without people getting these weird takes from people online, I I think a lot of this does go away and then we are still left with some people that um are unable to get it due to healthcare reasons, but that's okay. That small amount of people is not the problem. It's the people who could t who could get it and refuse to to get the vaccine uh, and it's because they're afraid um and plus if you're an anti-vaxxer spouting out nonsense you don't want your last words to say when you're dying <laughs> in the icu that you um should have gotten the vaccine exactly and and that is what we're seeing right now uh i mean just just recently there was um 
a whole bunch of articles I found where different states, mostly southern states, are having issues with people in car crashes or, or shooting victims who are unable to get into a hospital because the hospital is full of people, unvaccinated people with COVID, some of them um, with horse dewormer in their system. So, you know, it's this fear of the vaccines, and I think we just need to do a better job at educating and and helping people understand um, where that fear comes from, why it's there in the first place, because it's there's a lot of historical precedent for that fear. But right now, in today's in today's political and medical climate, uh, that fear uh, is not needed, and this is saving the vaccine is saving people's lives. Well, in speaking of fear, let's speak about the vaccine passports in our province of Ontario, uh, Premier Doug Ford announced that he was going to reintroduce uh, vaccine passports uh, starting the 22nd of September. Uh, basically, you would have to prove vaccination status when entering a cinema, um, a, a bar, basically any non-essential businesses besides barber shops, salons, etc. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Flapjack? And um, I'm just curious, how do you see everything panning now? Because the premier is saying that this is only temporary. Yeah, so uh, I think, so this is definitely limiting people's freedoms, um, no question. And the real, I think the real um, things we need to be looking at here uh, are, does it actually uh, warrant this? Um, so right now we're going to do a trial run of this, it seems. Um, not everyone is able to even have a photo ID or have a phone that can scan QR codes. So those people are just second-class citizens out of the gate because they are unable to provide the ID required. Um, and that's a huge problem. And the other aspect of it is there's a lot of people that uh, who work in those industries that will also be required to get the vaccine um, or they will no longer be employed there. That one's a little bit trickier because um, there is no right for you to work in any particular area. And if you don't adhere to the code of conduct there, the dress code, etc., you you can be removed. And I would place this in that category. Um, mm -hmm. And this is this is not new. This is, I mean, we've been doing this for for centuries at this point. There are codes of conduct, and you need to follow them. Otherwise you will not be allowed in someone's home, someone's building of uh, someone's office uh, and you won't be allowed to work there. And this is just par for the course on that front. So to me, that one's a little bit less of an ethical dilemma because we do this already. But when it comes to people being able to make use of the services available to them in their community and they're unable to, because they a refuse to get the vaccine or B, because they simply cannot provide proof because they don't have the means to provide the proof, uh, that's when it becomes um, a real issue for me. And that's when we start having people become second-class citizens because simply because of their lot in life and where they are now in their current situation, they're unable to provide that proof. So for me, that one's going to be the big a hurdle that we, we need to overcome we need to be able to help those people out too but um yeah for the people who are afraid of not being able to work um at their their chosen uh, employer anymore that one i i'm less concerned about because like i said we already have that in place i mean just look at no shirt no shoes no service <laughs> that mm -hmm. sign well is i mean even if you're like the janitor at a at a hospital, you still need all your shots. That's right. If you're um, um, a food service worker at any healthcare facility, you need your That's shots. That's right. That's right. Um, and the same thing, we've had this in the military as well. Uh, almost all militaries have had this because they don't want their soldiers getting sick. Most healthcare, like you said, most, most healthcare facilities have this as well. Um, even people who are at, at an arm's reach of the healthcare, such as physiotherapists um, and, and those types of people, they also need to be uh, vaccinated for flu and for other things every year. So this is not new. It's only new to some people in their particular uh, job. 
And to me, that's not enough for us to then pull back that aspect. And also, we need to keep in mind, we currently still have those same freedoms for the employers. So um, for employers to enforce these kind of things, we have no problem with that. The real problem comes from the government mandating that the employers enforce it. And I think that's I think that's where the issue is for some people. But this is simply a public health requirement, um, similar to why, you know, you can't run around naked or you, you know, you, you can't run in and scream fire in, in, in a crowded theater. Like we, we have rules of that curtail certain freedoms. And in this aspect, I think this potentially is justified for the employers to not let those people work there anymore. But I'm still concerned for the people who are unable to use um, certain aspects of their community and gain access to, to certain things because um, that's not fair and that's we do not want to be creating second-class citizens. Yes, I'm also a little bit concerned about privacy. Mm, um, yes. Most of us have a electronic device with us at all times and we do know that our privacy is being eroded. It's being chipped away. Um, so I am curious about how the government can make sure our privacy remains safe while implementing vaccine passports. Because uh, later in October in our uh, province, it is going to be a digital proof of vaccination that will show each uh, business before entering. Yeah. Or upon entry, I should say. Um. So... The the thing is, yeah, like it, it does. I I see why a lot of people are afraid of that. In this digital age, hearing of hacks is very common. And I remember mm -hmm. in the early two thousands, there was tons of big businesses getting hacked with credit card information, and that's still fresh in a lot of our minds. And so, yes, I think we do have this fear about our online information, especially when it comes to to healthcare. Um, but what I will say is. We have been doing this slowly over time for the last couple decades, at least. Uh, we've been working on a fully online um, healthcare record information storage center for all, so, so that you don't have to get your file from your doctor and bring it to someone else, that it can be easily transferred. We already do this for prescriptions. And so this is just, um, I guess, one more piece of that all online digital um health record that that we all will have uh and i also I, I will say that we we do this a lot with um other areas that we're afraid of too like our finances a lot of that is done online now and we don't seem to have the same worries i bank fully online i never go into a branch and i i have no issues and no worries whatsoever that's sort of where i'm at with this is that i think at this point um we are as secure as we, we can be. And yes, while hacks do happen, they happen a lot less frequently today in, in 2021. And so uh, I, this is just the natural extension of what we've been building towards um, as a society, which is almost everything can be done online. And uh, this is this is no different. I will say, though, mm. um, because of how poorly the early pandemic uh, rollout was I am skeptical of the early implementation of this vaccine passport depending on what information is on that um, QR code uh, if it's if it's mm -hmm. simply just a yes no like basically you hold this QR code up which is your QR code but the QR code only basically says yes no and the person scanning it gets no information then I'm okay that seems very harmless even if that is hacked then all the hacker knows is yes, you have it or no, you don't. Um, but if there's a lot more information on it, then I am a bit more uh, concerned. But I, I will say I did. I, I don't know who, who else did this, but I downloaded the government COVID-19 app for my phone, which is it. Uh, this is interesting. Maybe also people are worried about it, but it uses Bluetooth technology to uh, scan other people's phones and they're scanning your phone if they have the app. And it's basically reporting that you have not got COVID and the people around you have not got COVID. And if someone, if one of them gets tested and does have COVID, 
then they enter it into the app and then the app alerts me that I've recently been near this person and maybe I should get checked. So I downloaded this app because there's not too much information there other than where I was and Google already knows that because I used Google Maps to get there. So uh, to me, that one wasn't a big deal about knowing my location. Um, And that's where my irony meter starts ticking is because a lot of people are worried about tracking and we don't need microchips and we don't need weird apps to track you. Google Maps tracks you and it's that's all we need. It's true and we um we willful willfully and gleefully give away our data that's right. uh, to third party companies so that they can sell. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean if there's anything that we can expect, I would say it's gross government incompetence. Mm-hmm. So this can be done. I know it can be done because I know that Google's technology and Apple's technology it makes it so that the contact tracing is anonymous. So at least that's what we've been told. Uh, what One more interesting thing to note about uh, all of this uh, in terms of healthcare is the recent election out in Nova Scotia. So I'm not sure how many people know about this because it wasn't a huge news story, but um, Nova Scotia recently did have an, an election and it was supposed to be a landslide for the liberals as was this current federal election however the conservatives ended up with a majority government and when i first heard that i was kind of confused so i did a little digging and it turns out the conservatives went left they started leaning hard left really pushing health care they were basically promising to increase health care across the board from um, nurses to nursing home beds, to mental health, everything. Um, and so that's very interesting to see them really leaning in to that healthcare provider mindset. And like you said, this is not in their playbook, but it's, you know, they're, they're realizing that this is the way people feel about healthcare in this country. We want it to be universal healthcare. We are only better than the United States in terms of our healthcare um, access to our citizens and that is only including um, Scandinavian and European countries and so you know we want to be near the top of that and I think that's yeah I think everyone in this country agrees with that and it's just how we get there I think everyone is starting to realize that it is with universal health care yeah I mean if you're going to have universal health care you're going to have to constantly constantly invest in infrastructure That's right. and the pandemic exposed a lot and i think it has maybe moved the conservatives more to the center and then the people party of canada is almost like the republican right of canada yeah yeah it is nice to see that the conservatives are distancing themselves from that party um just because I, I was always worried that there would be a huge amount of overlap between them, almost indistinguishable, but they're not. I have to give credit there. They're not. Uh, it is clear that the conservatives are understanding that there are some issues that they were incorrect on in the past, and they are at least using rhetoric. They are changing the tune. Uh, we will have to see how this conservative Nova Scotian government actually implements it, as we will see when our federal election is done. If the conservatives do come out on top, we will see if they're actually going to follow through on a lot of those healthcare uh, needs like they stated. And it will be also interesting, just real quick, sorry about this, uh, Maple, but it'll be interesting to see how they uh, deal with other conservative premiers because for a long time, Trudeau has had very uh, antagonistic encounters with the conservative premiers across this country dealing with health care. It will be interesting if a conservative government is in power who is also pushing health care, how the conservative premiers handle that situation and how they don't look like they're the ones out of touch. So that will be uh, something to watch if the conservatives do pull off this, uh, this victory. Yeah, I mean, normally I always thought the conservative playbook was to undercut our health care system so that when it fails, 
they can point the finger and say, well, let's go ahead and privatize yep. it. That, and that's my, um, that is still my is, worry, I will say. That is, that is definitely still my worry as well. We're definitely in agreement there because that is in their playbook. And I don't know, there's just so much historical context with this party and how they've been, how everything's been going within that party for the past 10 years, which makes me think, I don't know, I'm a little bit skeptical. Yeah. But um, happy to hear it at least. Yes. And, and lastly, um, let's turn our attention to China. 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 Yeah. So um, Canada's relationship with China is very adversarial um, because of the Huawei situation. But um, there is um, recent news that China is banning kids from gaming, online gaming. They're allowed only three hours uh, spread out through, throughout the week at specific scheduled times. Uh, what do you have to say about this? Flapjack. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know about the previous restriction, which was 1.5 hours per day. I didn't realize that. Um, this new restriction is one hour a day, but only on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it's not even three. It's not even like three hours per week. It's it's one hour per day. So if you miss a day, it's now two hours for the next two days. Like you don't get to build them all up into one day. So uh, this is very restrictive, and um, it is a huge, huge uh, privacy issue because they're basically going to be tracking these kids' online movements uh, to to enforce this, right? Like, how else do you really enforce this? Um, well, I don't think that's a problem for the Chinese government because that's <laughs> what they've been doing for years. Uh, that's true. I, I just meant in terms of our own... Uh, ethics uh, and our own political I ideas i think this is clearly a violation of that i agree kids should not be playing that much video games um maybe you can play more than than three hours a week but still uh they shouldn't be playing all day however that is not for the government to decide it's true but i'm not surprised whatsoever i mean china is definitely if everything goes their way, they will be the net superpower in maybe two to three decades. And their work culture and just the the amount of work that they make their uh, citizens uh, put themselves into is just ridiculous. They have nine nine sits where you work six days a week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and usually even more within those hours uh, past those hours, I should say. So I think this is all has to do with China being the great superpower. And I'm not like looking at China in an adversarial or in kind of a nasty way. I don't trust China, but I trust the Chinese citizens. It's just because the Communist Party of China being so adversarial to any Western democracies, including Canada. Yes. Um, and yeah, the, the 996 is brutal. Um, our, our, we should actually shorten our work days um, right now, but uh, that's another topic for another day. Uh, but yeah, going on this, it does seem like um, this, this is trying to um, get their, get the youth of China um, a little bit more involved, like you said, in society. And uh, you know, it's, it's not clear how, how this is actually going to work but I, I guess because they've already been doing the 1.5 hours a day they already have an idea on how to um restrict this uh so yeah i guess we'll, we'll have to see and and this might really cause a, a a damage to um the video game industry as a as a whole at least the uh online video game industry um because it obviously requires players online for it to have value to people and for other people to play it. So um, not letting people play as much um, is going to hurt those numbers and people might be less less uh, enthusiastic about purchasing certain games because of this. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see, although I will say a lot of... Uh, it, it's not just children in, in China playing video games. I think they have a lot... Um, they have a, a much 
better uh, social view of video games than we seem to here in North America. Here it's still seen as very childish, but uh, I still play video games, and I'm 30, so uh, you know I think that's slowly turning uh, a corner, but that's sort of the uh, the state of things over in China. I feel like that a lot more people there are open to indulging in video games as just a hobby, just similar to how we go to the movies, read a book, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. It's just um, interesting just looking at China as of right now um, and their current situation. Probably they are going to surpass us and um, having the restrictions on video games will definitely help. Now, I do want to mention this um, doesn't necessarily ban gaming altogether. It's online gaming. But because everything is recorded, how you have to use certain facial recognition and install um, Chinese spyware on all your electronic devices, they'll probably still be able to police people offline gaming as well. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, what I have to say. Uh, going back to you, Flapjack. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I think that's that's part of the issue I have with the privacy. It's not necessarily that you're playing an online game, that obviously you're being tracked online. That's how the game is going to um, make sure that you're not cheating or that you know it, it owes you this many tokens or whatever. So the game is obviously going to know that you're online. It's when you're offline and the fact that they still may be able to... Uh, police that that's where i get concerned um and so yeah i i think i I obviously don't like this idea uh although i do agree that people should play less video games if they're playing like 10 hours a day so you know it's uh unless it's professionally then have it make that money sure yeah i mean yeah unless you can get it and get to that state but just in terms of also your like physical health uh, you, you have to have oh, really good terrible. control on how you behave if you are a professional video gamer because you have to then spend time at the gym right afterwards because you had you've been sitting for for six to ten hours straight um which is awful for you yeah they say sitting is the, the new smoking yeah all right i think and they say china's the new <laughs> bum, bum, bum. that's right well, I think that's it for the show for uh, for this week. Yeah, I think we're going to sign off. So thank you so much for watching the Northern Lights show. I'm Maple. And I'm Flapjack. And remember, keep watching. Our strain of politics is potent AF. We'll see you next time.